Sorry, I had to mute myself there. You did not want to hear me singing, that's for sure. I want to say a particular word of welcome to those of you who are new here, either in person or online. My name is Alex. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Chatham Community Church, and we're just really delighted if you're joining us for the first time, especially if this is first time ever in a church setting, or maybe first time in a long time. COVID did a number on people's habits and behaviors and practices, and maybe you've kind of been unplugged for church for a while. We're just so glad that you're here with us. Uh, what we're all about here is really simple, connect people to God, to each other, so together we can engage our world for good. We hope you experience a little bit of all those things here this morning. It's a new school year, which we're super excited about kicks off tomorrow. Now, for some of you, it doesn't mean anything to you. Like, you've reached the promised land of retirement or whatever, but for some of us, we've been waiting for this day our entire lives, or at least the whole month of August, which has been roughly felt like the same thing. So uh, we're going to celebrate after school here live. I mean, after the services here live, we'll have bounce houses and Mapleview ice cream and those sort of fun things. Uh, And today, we're also kicking off a a brand new sermon series called Soar. And the idea behind Soar is this, that you were made in God's image to be full of his life, to know him, to be full of his grace, his mercy, his beauty, his truth, his righteousness, his love. And as you're filled with those things, you are then given the invitation to demonstrate those things, to love God, love your neighbor, and make meaningful contribution to this world. And whatever way God wired you up, it's going to look different for each one of us and different personalities and different temperaments. But God made you to soar. But all kinds of things, all kinds of things come against us, right? Kind of work against us soaring. There's the grind of everyday life and the challenges of everyday life. And then there's like the occasional crises that really threaten to almost bury us under the weight and the challenges of the things outside. Sometimes uh, obstacles that we can't, couldn't have imagined or foreseen. And then there's stuff inside us, right? There's things at work inside of us that keep us from opening ourselves up to the grace of God, the goodness of God, the mercy of God. There's things that inhibit us, that keep us from soaring. So we're going to spend these next several weeks looking at stories in the scripture of people who have soared in the face of all kinds of challenges, big challenges, small challenges, and even overcoming the things inside them that might keep them from soaring. And we're going to sort of get to this and get our minds around it so that you and I might be more open, more available to do what God made you to do. No matter what you're facing right now or going to face six weeks from now or six months from now, God made you to soar. And soaring doesn't depend on your circumstances. Soaring depends on you being open to the life that God wants to pour in you by the power of his spirit. And it might not look like the way you wanted it to. It might not always turn out exactly as you would have scripted it or liked for it to. But the same God that raised Jesus from the grave to soar as king of kings and lord of lords invites us to walk in resurrection power that you and I might soar in the midst of whatever challenges, whatever difficulties we might face, even if it leads you to places you'd rather not go, like it did for Jesus. Today, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Daniel. Let's set the stage a little bit so uh, we can kind of get the context. It's about 600 BC. The Babylonians have come through, and King Nebuchadnezzar has sort of wiped out Israel, carted off the best and the brightest to kind of be uh, in training to serve the king of Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar. And then Nebuchadnezzar dies, and his hard-partying son takes over Belshazzar. You know how that goes, right? 
when the hard parting son takes over from dear old dad, right? Things go south quickly. And God actually tells him, you've been judged and we're taking away the kingdom from you. That's it. So that night, the Persians come through and just clock Babylon, kill Belshazzar. And King Darius sort of establishes his kingdom there where Babylon once reigned over like basically the entire Middle East and Asia and Europe. It's just a ginormous empire. So King Darius is setting up his sort of administration as the brand new king over ancient Babylon. And he doesn't knock off everybody. He doesn't kill everybody. He invites Daniel to be a part of this new administration. And that's exactly where we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. That was said of all of us. Finally, these men said, we'll never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Well, several months ago, I was uh, getting ready to have a hard conversation. And I don't know how, what you do when you're getting ready to have a hard conversation, but for me, what I do is I start to imagine how it might go, right? And I didn't know how this person was going to handle this hard conversation. I was a little bit nervous about it. And so I started role-playing, right? Guessing what they're gonna re- how they're going to respond, how they're going to react, what I'm going to say. And it's amazing. When I'm having conversations in my head, I win every time. Like, I crush it with the conversations in my head, right? I'm always, I'm always brilliant. I always anticipate well. I'm always, like, really, really good at the conversations in my head. So I'm, I go into this conversation that I've been having in my head for weeks and weeks, and I sit down with this person, and I sort of, I bring up the hard thing, and you know what? It goes fine. Great. All that time, all that effort, all that energy, not helpful, wasted. And we had to have, our, we had to have the conversation, but it wasn't nearly as charged, nearly as barbed as I thought it was going to be. So the whole thing was in my head. I created the crisis in my head. Have you ever created a crisis in your head? Thought something was coming, a threat, uh, something you were afraid of, something you were anxious about, right? Some of us some of us are more anxious than others by temperament. Some of you are like so like flatlining, cool, nothing ever gets you worried. But like we, uh, most of us have had some experience where we've thought something was coming that was going to be bad. And it turned out not to be bad after all. It was all in our heads. In the story, you've got Darius, just conquered Babylon, setting up his kingdom and his administration. He's got 120 people ruling the different provinces. And then the big three, the inner circle, the administrators. Daniel's one of those big three. And Darius is so impressed with him. He's such a great leader that he's going to make him the prime minister of the whole place, right? He's going to give him the keys of the kingdom. And the, and the other administrators, and, and at least some portion of the satraps, don't like this. And they go into crisis management mode. How can we stop this thing from happening? Daniel's about ready to be handed the keys to the kingdom. They don't like it. There's a crisis. So they go into crisis management mode. And the reason is why? Why do they go into crisis management mode? I mean, everybody wins when a good leader's in place, right? You've had bad bosses and good bosses. When a good boss is good, it's great, right? Everyone wins when there's a man of integrity. Wisdom, strength, making good decisions with a great track record. Like everyone wins, right? If a great leader is put in place. What's the crisis? And the answer is there isn't a crisis. They're making it up in their heads. Only in this case, 
It's some combination of ego, jealousy, pride, their own ambition. And there may even be a racial or ethnic component to this, right? Because Daniel is a Jew from Israel, and there's not that many Jews in leadership at this point, probably very few of them. In fact, he might be the only one. And so if it was just individual ego or jealousy, maybe just one or two people tried to get Daniel, but there's a group of them that banded together and said, what can we do to stop Daniel from becoming prime minister over this whole nation, even though he's a really great guy and a really great leader? We don't like it. Maybe it's a little bit of jealousy, maybe a little bit of ego, maybe a little bit of ambition, but maybe, just maybe, they don't want the Jewish guy to get it. There's a sin that events crisis when there isn't any real crisis. And that sin is going to create a crisis for Daniel here in just a minute. That is going to really disrupt all kinds of things. But here's the thing. Sin always creates unraveling of relationships. Right? Sin always introduces chaos in relationships. Sin always unravels things that are good. But here's the good news for us. When you're in crisis, and crisis is a big word. So we'll just use like, when you hear crisis today, stress, transition, anxiety, a threat coming your way. That's what I mean by crisis, right? Here's the good news. Whenever we are in the midst of a crisis or any kind of stressful situation, whether you created it yourself in your own head, your own imagination, your own sin, your own stupidity, or someone else's sin, someone else's stupidity, or just circumstances beyond your control, right? Sometimes, like, hard things just come at us that no one's manufactured. It's just a hard situation. Here's the good news when you're in the midst of crisis, however it's coming and whatever happens. The good news is this. God is still God in the midst of crisis, no matter how you got there. God is still God. God is still on the throne. In the midst of any kind of crisis, any kind of challenge, any kind of transition, no matter how you get to crisis, and there's any number of paths that lead to crisis and challenging situations, all kinds of paths, whether it's COVID-19, economic transition, or something terrible that a friend of yours did or a boss did or a coworker or a parent did to you, there's always the good news that God is always God. Nothing can displace God from the throne, no matter how you got into crisis. And one of the reasons why it's really helpful for us to be in the scriptures and especially look at Jesus is it shows us what God's disposition is towards us. That God's disposition toward you and toward me is always love, always redemption, always renewal, even when it doesn't look like God's at work. And Daniel's gonna be in a spot here for the next few verses where it doesn't look like God's moving, doesn't look like God's loving him, doesn't look like God's moving toward him in any way, shape, or form. But the good news is that God is still God even in the midst of crisis. And even when it doesn't look like it, God is disposed toward coming toward you and engaging you in love in the midst of the crisis. So since God is still God in the midst of crisis, no matter how you got there, the first step to sort of soaring through crisis, right? Soaring in the midst of crisis, soaring in the midst of challenges is this. Soaring in crisis depends on moving towards God first, moving into crisis management mode second. Soaring in the midst of crisis depends on moving towards God first. Now, some of you are super, super biased towards action, toward jumping in and fixing things. And that's great. If the house is on fire, don't pray first. Just go. But if it's not a life emergent situation, some of us are so kind of conditioned to jump in and go and go to work and manage the situation that we don't go to God first. And maybe, just maybe, if you go to God first, if the administrators and satraps had gone to God first, God would have shown them there's no crisis. It's all in your head. Maybe if you go to God first, he grounds you in the reality and cuts through your anxiety. Definitely, if you go to God first, you open yourself up to his resources to get you through the crisis, his wisdom, his love, his grace, 
his creativity to help you soar in the midst of crisis. Because God is still God in the midst of the crisis, no matter how you got there, the first step to soaring through crisis is to open yourself up to God to help you get through the crisis so that you might have his resources in the midst of things. And then you take the next wise step, faith, hope, love, wisdom, courage. Imagine, imagine one of the administrators or satraps at any point during this whole experience, they stop and they seek Daniel's God. Imagine one of them wakes up as they're praying and realizes this whole thing is terrible. Like this whole thing is stupid. We're imagining this whole thing. Imagine, just imagine this, the, that one of them repents and says, God, forgive me, and I want to come back to you. And God re-invites re, re, uh, them into a relationship and then sends that man back to try to stop this crazy thing that's going to unfold, that's unspeakably wicked, trying to kill an innocent man. Imagine. God invites us into off-ramps out of out of the chaos that, that our sin creates and into a relationship with him. And if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and there's a crisis in your life because of some sin that you, you did, something stupid that you did, it was your pride, it was your ambition, it was your jealousy, it was you the one that had the affair, it was you the one that, ra- that reached for something, that sort of longed for approval and applause and kind of chased after that too much. If you're the one that created the crisis, Due to the sin in your own heart, I've got good news for you. There's an off-ramp here today. The Lord invites you into his resources and to being renewed and reconciled to him. And then he wants to pour his grace and mercy into you to heal you, that you then might turn around and be an instrument of grace and mercy to bring healing to the places where crisis has been created through your sin. Turn away from those, that broken behavior, those broken attitudes, those broken sort of decisions. Turn to the Lord. Watch how grace and renewal and redemption pours in to you. Now, if you're here this morning and you're, and you're in crisis or experience crisis because of someone else's sin, someone else's stupidity, man, that's so hard. It's one of the hardest places to be. I'm praying for you. I've been praying for you all week. If you're here this morning and you're feeling the weight of I've experienced crisis in the past recently or right now in this some sort of thing because of some, something someone else has done that's been out to get you, it's one of the most dangerous places to be because you can, you can fall into all kinds of traps, right? Bitterness, resentment, anger, I'm praying for you because Daniel's going to show us how you can soar even when the people around you have put you in a crisis because of their sin. My prayer for each of you is that you be soft and open in the midst of those challenges. Now, Daniel's going to build his whole response around the good news that God is still God, even in crisis, no matter how you got there. And that soaring in the midst of crisis depends on moving toward God first and then sort of moving to crisis management mode second. Now, as the administrators and satraps sort of walk into this whole thing, what they're going to do next is they're going to, they're going to feel this crisis and they're going to start making some really bad decisions, right? And one of the things I try to do, once I have a little mantra that I come back to when I'm in the midst of a hard situation and difficult situations. I have a little mantra I come back to. I share it every so, every so often and I bring it back here because it's a helpful thing if you're in a hard situation. And my mantra is this, do not complicate a hard situation with a bad decision. Will you say that with me? Do not complicate a hard situation with a bad decision with feeling. Do not complicate a hard situation with a bad decision. Do not complicate a hard situation with a bad decision because when you're in hard situations, bad decisions abound and they offer temporary short-term relief. You do not want to complicate your hard situations with bad decisions. Bad decisions offer short-term relief, but they only long-term complicate and make hard situations 
worse. Do not complicate hard situation with a bad decision. What we're going to see as the story unfolds is the satraps and all these, all these guys are going to continually complicate sort of hard situations that they're inventing, the crisis they're making up in their head, out of their sin, with bad decisions. And, what's that, and that's going to have consequences for them. Meanwhile, Daniel's going to do the exact opposite. He's going to continue to make hard, good, wise decisions that are going to keep him oriented toward the Lord and are going to help him to soar. That's how the story continues to unfold. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. If anyone else tells you to live forever, you're not going to. And don't fall for it. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except for you, your majesty, shall be thrown to the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Ha <laughs> ha, so King Darius thought this was brilliant and put the decree in writing. Now, when Daniel learned the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem three times a day, got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. My, uh, a friend of mine's wife is a therapist and we we're talking about challenge, crisis, transitions. And she's got this image she uses. The image she uses is this. It's this upside-down pyramid. So crisis is an upside-down pyramid. Like you can't stay there for very long, right? You can't stay there very long. It's an innately precarious space to be. So here's what you're going to do. You're either going to fall backwards into bad habits, bad practices, self-destructive behaviors. You're going to fall forward into life-giving decisions. That's the decision. That's the fork, right? Crisis It's like being on the, on the, on the tip of an upside-down pyramid. You're going to either fall backwards into unhealthy, unhelpful, destructive decisions, or you're going to fall forward into life-giving decisions. The satraps, the advisors, they, they have this, this imaginary crisis, right? And they, what they do is they fall backward into exactly what politicians always do, right? All politicians for all time do exactly what they've done, which is conspire, scheme, sort of find ways to sort of manipulate the situation. This is the bad habits they've practiced their whole lives, and this is exactly what they fall back into. Daniel, on the other hand, has prayed. He falls forward into the well-worn paths of God. See, for years, maybe decades, even while in Babylon, even while in exile, Daniel has faced toward Jerusalem, the place where God's temple had been before it got obliterated, but that's where God's people dwelled. He faced toward Jerusalem thousands of miles away, and he prayed to God three times a day. Daniel practiced and practiced and practiced and practiced these, this, this art of, this habit of turning Godward, turning Godward, turning Godward. He had so practiced those paths in the light that when darkness came, he could find those paths in the darkness. He knew where to go. He knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was about. Because he practiced and habituated these things in the light to find the path when it got dark. See, soaring often starts with practices that don't look like soaring. So you need to put practices in place now for soaring later. Soaring often starts with practices and habits don't, that don't look like they're soaring. So put those practices in place now in your life for soaring later. Daniel has these habits, right, that are habituated. Nothing, nothing crazy about them. They're just like quiet devoted, behind the scenes, simple. And there's all these opportunities for him to do this. But, but in, this, in those times, all he's doing is just sort of giving thanks, it says. Giving thanks. And later we're going to see that he uh, was asking God for help uh, in, in that time as well. But he is seeking God three times a day, even in Babylon, even in exile, even when he's far away from home. But the whole point is this, that Daniel has oriented his life around God. 
He's oriented his heart, his thoughts toward God. He is focused, devoted, focused three times a day toward God. Do you know how hard focus is for us today? Do you know how scattered we are? We're so scattered. We're the most scattered generation in history, right? This is so crazy how much our attention is so torn from us. Can you, like that, that work, that devotion of saying, I'm just gonna put my heart, my life, my spirit before the Lord and let him fill me. Daniel has done this three times a day. Good days, bad days. He's getting promoted and everything's up and to the right. And on the day when his life is threatened by, the, by the, a, a conspiracy of people that he worked with because God made us to soar, made us to soar even in Babylon, even in exile, even in the midst of crisis. And so Daniel has opened himself up to that space for God to fill him in order to soar. See, what everyone sees is public Daniel. What everyone sees is Daniel who's getting the promotion and kind of uh, like has all this like all his power and all his authority. But if all Daniel had was the public side of him and he didn't have the private, personal, quiet, practices, habits that shape his character. Anchor him in something deeper than just the job title. Anchor him in something deeper than just the promotion. Anchor him in a bigger life where his promotion and his job title aren't more important than devotion to the God who is Lord over all these things. That's the life that Daniel has cultivated. So when crisis comes, he's not asking what to do. He's gonna stay devoted to the God who made him to soar. Daniel's habits, his practices, not spectacular, not crazy, prepare him to soar in the face of crisis. Here's a question for you. Will your current habits and practices help you to fall backward or forward when, not if, the next crisis comes? Your current habits, your current practices right now, zoom out, last two weeks, last week, last month, will your current practices and habits, when crisis comes, are you prepared and equipped to soar when that thing happens? Are you ready to fall into paths that you know and are familiar with like Daniel did, or will they pull you backward? Because practice, because soaring often starts with practices that don't look, that don't look like soaring. So put practices in place now to help you soar later. Now at this point in the story, all the characters have played their role, right? Daniel has done exactly what he's always done. The administrators and the satraps, they've done what they've habituated. They're, they're politicians. They're doing what they typically do. The die has been cast. Everyone has played their role. Everyone is doing exactly what they practiced, maybe for their entire adult lives. And now we're going to see how the story unfolds and how they reap the benefits or experience the consequences of what they have practiced and what they put into motion as we continue to read verse 11. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who's one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort till sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, remember your majesty that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating, without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. Have you ever done the right thing and gotten punished for it? Like, 
No good, to de- no good deed goes unpunished kind of experience. Daniel is in the lion's den because he prayed. Let that sit again for a minute. Daniel's in the lion's den because he prayed to God. And we find out later, right, that he was praying to God, asking for help, and this is God's answer, lion's den. My friends, Daniel's gonna, Daniel actually is soaring even all the way to the lion's den, but there's something's gonna happen at the end where he's gonna get rescued, right, where he's gonna really soar. It's gonna look like he's soaring. It's gonna be clear that he's soaring, but here's the thing. If God is still God, even in the midst of crisis, and if soaring starts with practices that don't look like soaring, there's often this step between faithful practices and soaring that's stepped down before, it's, before you lift it up. There's often this step between faithful practices, doing the right thing, that's a step down into the lion's den, into challenges, into conflict, before you're lifted up or before you're shown to be vindicated or right. Right? Daniel makes this, does all this praying, all this praying, all this praying. This is the thanks he gets into the lion's den. Jesus spends 30 years learning the scriptures, learning a trade, figuring, understanding who he is and what he's here to do. He spends three years faithfully following God the Father, doing exactly what the Father wants him to do, healing people, teaching, miracles. Everywhere he goes, Jesus is just sort of doing these things, completely devoted and submitted and surrendered to God the Father. And eventually, Jesus is gonna be crowned King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the resurrected King for all time, forever and ever, amen. But the step between faithful following of God and soaring to a resurrected king is a step down to the cross, to a tomb, buried, until he's resurrected as king of kings and lord of lords. But even in all, into all eternity, he's the king with nail-scarred hands. He's the lamb who was slain for you and for me to wash away our sins so that nothing might stand between you and God who made you to soar. The step between faithful practices and clear soaring is often a step down before it's a step up. And I hate that. (laughs) I get frustrated with God, right? Listen, God, if I'm devoted to you, your job is to come through on your end of the bargain. At least keep me from people who want to throw me in the lion's den, right? That's like God is not coming through on his end of the the, the deal, right? If I'm devoted to God, God gives me something, right? I want that. And so my friends, Here's the deal. I don't want you to be surprised at the step down before the step up. And I want to invite us, all of us, to be open. When you experience that step down on the other side of faithfulness, will you do the natural thing, which is to give up on God, cynical, jaded, and frustrated with God? Or will you fight, fight, fight to stand in a Godward direction, open, willing to receive whatever he wants to pour into you, because that's how you soar. Daniel is soaring before he's in the lion's den, into the lion's den. He's about to soar out of the lion's den. But the, the, the good news about soaring is it's not dependent on your circumstances. Soaring is about are you surrendered to the God who wants to pour his life into you to enable you to be buoyant and to soar in the midst of whatever it is you're up against. Here's how Daniel's story Finishes out. At the, light, at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called out to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel. He shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. 
The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown to the lion's den along with their wives and children before they reached the floor of the den. The lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Just pause there. That's Persian justice. That, like God doesn't say to do that. Daniel doesn't ask to do that, right? That's how ancient peoples did justice. And there's no commentary about that whatsoever. It's just sort of what they did. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in the earth, may you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of kings of Cyrus, the Persian. Daniel's whole lifetime was crisis. Like, as a kid, as a young man, he's carried away in captivity. His whole nation is overrun and decimated. He spends his whole time in captivity. But here he faces the biggest crisis of his life, the biggest challenge of his life. And in Daniel's instance... He's delivered from the mouths of lions. Not always happen, right? In, in church history, Christian history, all kinds of people get, uh, get consumed in the lion's den, get burned at the stake. All kinds of things happen, right? But in Daniel's situation, he is rescued from the lion's den. But here's the deal, right? Daniel was soaring before the lion's den when he went and prayed three times, even in the face of the decree. He was soaring in the lion's den, and by God's grace, he soared out of the lion's den. And he prospers greatly, and this is a beautiful happily ever after story. But let's remember this. Daniel's still in Babylon. It's not where he wants to be. He wants to be home with his people back in Jerusalem. Daniel is soaring, but it's not in the situation or the context he wants to be. He'd rather be in his home. My friends, here's the last point I want to make. You can meet the Lord and soar in just about any situation, even if it's not your ideal situation. You can meet the Lord and soar. Be open to his filling in almost any situation even if it's not your ideal situation, even if it's not exactly where you hoped and dreamed it would be, even if it's not exactly detailed according to your plan, just like Daniel in Babylon, Daniel in exile, it's not where he wants to be, but he's soaring in the midst of the crisis because soaring is not contingent on your circumstances. You can soar in your workplace. You can soar in your messed up extended family. You can soar in the face of your neighborhood or your school or your marriage or no matter what your kids are doing. Soaring is available to you because soaring is not contingent on circumstances. Soaring is contingent on you and me orienting our hearts toward God, opening ourselves to God and letting God fill us with his wisdom, his strength, his courage. And sometimes we do change the circumstances, right? Sometimes we need the courage and the strength and the wisdom to change our jobs or to have a hard conversation or to navigate situations in our family. Sometimes we have to make significant changes, move across country. You gotta, sometimes you gotta do these things, but God's resources are available to you anytime, any place, even in Babylon, even in exile, even in the lion's den, even on a cross, even in a tomb, even in your family situation, even in your workplace. You don't need the circumstances to change. You just need to be open to the God who is Lord over your circumstances, open to the crisis. He is still God, even in the face of the crisis, no matter how you got there. Today's wildly important take-homes. Just a few things to wrap up to bring these things together because God is still God, even in the midst of the crisis. Soaring in crisis depends on moving toward God first, 
crisis management mode. Second, there are all kinds of ways to end up in crisis, but maybe the, 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 the key to soaring in the face of those crises is to orient yourself toward God first. Again, unless the house is on fire, then you run. But otherwise, you orient yourself toward God first, and maybe, just maybe, there's not a crisis at all. Maybe it's mostly in your head. Definitely, you want the resources of God to be poured into you, his wisdom, his strength, his courage. Second thing, put practices in place now for soaring later because soaring often starts with practices that don't look like soaring. What are your habits? What are your practices? Are you, are you spending time? Have you cultivated a life of prayer? Do you have a personal life that is bigger than your public life that maybe nobody else sees that's helping you to form character? Root you in God's grace. Help you to know what it means to be a child of God and navigate the situations because you want to fall forward in the face of the next crisis, not backward. The best way to do that is to find practices and be with people that help you to live that out. That's why we do small groups around here so that you might share life with other people who are living this faith out as well as best as they know how. Number three, sometimes a step between those faithful practices and clear soaring is a step down before you're lifted up. So don't be surprised by it. Be ready for it. Be ready for the fact that it was true for Jesus, true for Daniel. It's probably gonna be true for you at some point in your life. You're gonna do the right thing and it's not gonna result in things all going right exactly as you want. Sometimes a step between, so faithful practices and storing is a step down before God lifts you up. So be faithful and stay and stay and tell you what, when you're in that place in the lion's den, in the place of sort of heartbreak or disappointment, I just really wanna encourage you, be angry with God. He can handle it. Get angry with God. He can handle it. Pour your heart out to God. He can handle it. But stay, stay, stay. Because maybe, maybe you're just one overnight from being lifted out of the lion's den like Daniel was. Or maybe you're just three days away from being lifted out of the grave like Jesus was. Stay and watch, what the same, watch that same God come through for you. Finally, you can soar in almost any situation, even if it's not your ideal situation. You can soar in almost any situation, even if it's not your ideal situation, because soaring is not contingent on circumstances. Soaring is contingent on us being oriented to the God who is Lord over your situation, no matter what's happening right here, right now. And again, I want to say, sometimes it does require a change. Sometimes you got to change jobs. Sometimes you need to have a hard conversation, navigate things. Sometimes it does require changing. But my friends, primarily, soaring is contingent on the resources of God being fill, filling our hearts and our spirits that we might be oriented toward God and filled with his spirit no matter what we're up against. God made us to soar. You were made to soar. My hope and my prayer is like Daniel, we might find ourselves oriented toward God in the face of crisis. He might fill us with his strength and his courage that we might soar in the midst of whatever obstacles, challenges, or resistance you're facing today or in the future because he made you to soar. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being gracious and kind. Thanks for making us to soar. I want to pray for my friends who are here today who are in crisis, facing challenges. I want to pray for my friends who are here in crisis and facing challenges who are there, at least in some part, due to things that they have done, mistakes that they have made, either intentional or unintentional. Lord, would you uh, help them to hear the good news that you are king and Lord over their situation no matter how they got into the crisis. I pray for my friends who are here who are feeling the and the challenges of a crisis that they didn't invent. Someone else's sin has created it for them. And I pray, God, that you would help them to avoid uh, despair, cynicism, learned helplessness. Would they turn toward you, Lord God? Would you continue to pour your resources into them, to, to buoy them through the storm, to guide them and strengthen them? Lord, would you help us to develop good practices and habits, to face toward you like Daniel did? Would you help us to be open to how you want to meet us, even when it's not an ideal situation? 
just like Daniel did. Lord, I pray for my friends who, are sure, who aren't even sure that you exist, aren't even sure that you're there for them, not even sure that you're available to them. Lord Jesus, would you invite them into a relationship with you in a way that is beautiful, faithful, that opens them up to soar the way you made them to. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Why don't we stand as we sing our last song together?